Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 50, a half century of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. Now, we published the second edition of our new quarterly magazine in April, GCP Insights, 26 pages, all of which are dedicated to exclusive news and informed analysis of the biggest developments across the global captive market. This edition, we have regional focuses on Latin America and Asia Pacific, an in-depth debate for European corporates concerning the merits and disadvantages of domicile in your captive in your home country, the latest analysis of the situation in Washington State, and lots, lots more. As ever, my favourite pages of the magazine are hidden right at the very back, two pages full of exclusive information you won't find anywhere else on new captive formations, certainly worth checking out. There are some very high profile names on there. Joining our captive community, which is really exciting, and I'm sure we'll be hearing from a few of them at least in future episodes so do check that out we also released our second gcp insights podcast installment last week in these episodes i am joined by a really great uh, new regular panel of young professionals cassie buckman joe mcdonald and karen z if you haven't heard us before, then essentially we debate and discuss some of those larger stories from the magazine and, and other stories as well and try to have a bit of fun along the way. You can find the GCP Insights episodes on the podcast feed and there are links to that and of course the magazine to download or read online for free in this episode's show notes or visit globalcaptivepodcast.com. All the information you need should be on there. So on with GCP 50 then, and we're going to be focusing on group captives uh, this time out. Our captive owner interview coming up will be with Daniel Scheid, Chief Financial Officer at Ziegler Auto Group. Ziegler were one of the founding members of Navigator Casualty Limited, a Cayman domiciled group captive. And Dan will give us a really good case study and experience of how the group captive has evolved over time, but also benefited his business over the years. But joining me today as guest co-host is a man steeped in the commercial insurance market and a relatively recent convert to the group Captive Contact, which we'll come on to. His name is Mike Foley, and he is president of Captive Resources, having joined the leading group captive specialist in 2018. Mike, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Richard. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, really good to have you on. We've been talking about uh, getting you onto the pod for a while, so it's great to have you on. And of course, Captive Resources are a friend of the podcast for 2021, which is really exciting and looking forward to producing loads of group captive content throughout the year. Mike, for listeners who may not be as familiar with your background and, and how you came to be at Captive Resources, could you provide some background on your career uh, in the commercial insurance market before before you arrived in this position? Sure. I joined Captive Resources as president at the beginning of 2019. And before that, I'd been CEO of Zurich North America from 2008 to 2017. I had a, a year off of garden leave in between there. Prior to joining uh, Zurich North America, I was at McKinsey for a decade. And when I left McKinsey to join Zurich, I was the leader of the firm's North American PNC insurance practice. So I'm a PNC insurance guy and uh, a recent convert to group captives. I remember when you joined Captive Resources in, in 2018, it's it quite exciting to have a, a senior figure such as yourself come into not just the captive side of the business, but the group captive side. Why and, and how did you, did you make that decision to, to join Captive Resources for when you left Zurich? Because it's quite a, quite, a change in, quite a change in role really, isn't it? And quite a change in 
type of the, the market segment within the insurance industry. Yeah, it is. And it was actually, um, it was not sequential, right? So I first decided to leave Zurich. I had uh, hit 55 and been leading the uh, organization in North America for 10 years and and thought it was time to look for a new challenge um, and uh, had a ready successor. So retired from Zurich and then started to look for what to do next. Um, and, you know, there were a bunch of things on my horizon there. I was thinking about maybe an insure tech startup or, or some other things like that. And then started to talk to captive resources. I knew the company well because Zurich is captive resources largest fronting carrier. So, um, and also captive resources is Zurich North America's largest customer. So, so I knew the company, I knew the leadership, they knew me. Um, I knew that captive resources is clearly the leading consultant to group captives. And I knew that Zurich really liked the risk pools that the group captives model created. So it was a, you know, a company with a proven track record of growth over decades, um, with lots of headroom to grow still in the marketplace and a really compelling value proposition. So obviously as you said, you, you are pretty familiar with captive resources through, through your, your Zurich relationship with them. What has surprised you as you've got to know the business of, of, of captive resources, particularly, but also group captives more broadly, as you've got to know that business better, what, is, what has kind of surprised you most about the group captive arena? The thing that probably is most surprising to me was um, I, I knew the risk pools were very attractive. I knew that you know, the companies that were in group captives clearly had strong performance metrics overall as a sort of risk pool in a cohort. I didn't really appreciate the power of the model and of the value proposition. And, you know, really didn't understand that until I got into the captive model in more detail and started to attend board meetings and started to look at the dynamics of, you know, how customers join and how rarely they leave group captives. You know, CRI has for the captives that we work with a 97% plus retention rate over decades of time. And basically, companies join group captives. And once they do, they realize that um, it's a great model. They, they like the, the risk management model, and we can talk more about that. But they also like the ability to be with like-minded business people and to actually you know, go to the board meetings and network and build a network of people who really bring distinctive thought to their businesses. So I was very pleasantly surprised with the strength of the value proposition, even through the pandemic, where quite honestly, a year ago when you know the pandemic was really starting up, we stepped back and ran some scenarios at Captive Resources that said, what if people just didn't join group captives for a while? Because it's, you know, it's a different model, it's a complex sale process, they have to post collateral. So you could see people in the middle of a pandemic saying, I'm going to just take a break. I'm just going to kind of stick with what I know for now. But that didn't happen at all. In fact, we had our best new business year again in 2020, just like we've had in every other year prior to that. So so it's a really interesting model um, that does a couple of things. Um, It's a risk reward model that, you know, I understood to some extent when I was looking at it from the underwriting side. But when you get into it more, we've done some really interesting analyses at Captive Resources. We did one where we looked at, um, we used an independent actuarial firm to look at 15 mature captives um, over time, over 1.5 billion work hours of, in the study. And we looked at what's what happened to their work comp compared to expectations for typical firms in their controlling for industries. And what we found was that members in the group captives had a 48% lower fatality rate, a 39% lower lost time claim, and 22% less work comp claims you know, on average. And so what we get is we get great firms to join and then they become even better. And we've also seen correlations between risk assessment scores and loss picks over time. So I was surprised by how compelling the value proposition was, 
and how distinctive the firms were that actually joined the captives. Yeah, and some some of that data insight is is really useful and interesting. And, and I know that, of course, you you make an effort at, at captive resources, a real effort, in making your business to really understand what's going on within the group captives, within the members themselves, and and lead on a lot of those risk management initiatives, which which Nick has been on on the podcast before to talk about. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that those topics a lot more in the future with, with captive resources on uh, future episodes of the pod. But let's hear then from a group captive member themselves. I was delighted to be joined by Daniel Scheid, CFO at Ziegler Auto Group, and he began by telling me a bit about the profile of Ziegler. Well, yeah, thank you, Richard, and and thanks for having me today. Ziegler Auto Group is a retail automotive dealer group. We're located in uh, the Great Lakes areas of the, the United States. We've got dealerships in Michigan. Indiana and Illinois. We have 30 locations. We do uh, approximately $1.7 billion in annual sales, and we have about 1,700 employees. Uh, we represent almost all makes of uh, manufacturers out there for the, uh, the automotive retail world. We hear a lot about actually auto dealerships having involvement with different types of captives, whether it be their own captives or sell captives or, or group captives. How, how did you come about to consider joining a, a group captive. Yeah. And to, to your point, Richard, you are right. We have a history with reinsurance in our industry where we reinsure a lot of our, our insurance products on the retail side, insurance products we sell to our customers. But about seven, eight years ago, as I was looking at our risks and our exposures that we look for insurance on, and as our organization continued to grow, I knew there had to be a better way. So, you know, we've always had very good loss rates. And I feel like we manage our organization, you know, very well to avoid risks and claims. And as I watched our premiums grow, as our organization was growing under a fully insured product, you know, I became frustrated, to be honest with you. So I had positive results and my positive results, my, my good claims, good loss rates were not necessarily driving my premiums. So I always felt the insurance was merely a product, sort of like a canned product, you know, almost like a commodity. Okay. It wasn't really a strategic part of my operations. So there was a disconnect between the way we were running operations and, and, and the, the good results that you know we we're achieving, and then the insurance product that I was buying and retaining to cover the exposure exposures. So about eight years ago, approached my broker, my consultant. I said, "Hey, there's got to be a, a better way." And so my broker introduced me to Captive Resources. So Captive Resources is the you know they're really the premier captive consulting managers in the country, and they uh, they showed me a solution with the group captive model, and that's how we that's how we came to understand and join a captive. Yeah, great. And that, that, that story is, is very familiar, particularly as you saw you know, rates continue to go up despite having a good loss ratio and, and claims history. So when you had that introduction to, to Captive Resources, and we've got Mike Foley on, on this episode as well, so it's nice to put you guys together. What lines of insurance do you purchase from, from the group Captive that you are a part of? We actually ended up forming a new captive with Captive Resources, so we could have joined one of their captives. Um, it strategically made sense for us to to form a new one. So uh, us, along with a few other entities, formed Navigators, the name of our captive. And so Navigator covers uh, our lines that we cover, workers' compensation, general liability, and auto coverage. Now, having said that, we, uh, Ziegler, I only have our work comp in the captive. And that's that's primarily because our exposures, okay, so our, our biggest sort of concentrated exposures are our cars. So you go out to our auto lots, and on any given day, you've got uh, tens of millions of dollars in, in one single location. Now, you take that times 30 dealerships, and you have these concentrated exposures. So those exposures are not necessarily conducive for a captive. 
Okay, so if a hurricane comes along and wipes out a, uh, or in our case, a, a hailstorm or something wipes out inventory, big loss at one time is not really the model for the captive. So in our case, we only insure the workers' comp, and then we handle our general liability and our auto coverage through a more of a traditional direct model. Uh, but having said that, about 70% of our members at Navigator have all lines of coverage. So uh, with regards to, obviously, the workers' comp is, is in the captive, how then has this, this membership been of, of, of wider benefit to the organization? I presume there's been, obviously, benefit in regards to kind of insurance rates and kind of, I imagine, some dividends that come back or, or underwriting profit. But has there been other wider benefits to the organization from your involvement with Navigator? Really, the best way I can describe it when I, when I try and tell friends what a captive is or what this means to us is it, it's given us control of our insurance coverage. Okay, so we're no longer subject to the broader insurance market, okay, good or bad, right? So we live, live or die, right? But we live by our own results. So our premiums, you know, where I used to write a check to a third party insurance company, our premiums, our contributions are really, in a, in a sense, written directly to us, written to our own company. So, you know, we're, we're directly influenced by our own loss rates and how we run our organization. So, so fiscally speaking, our out-of-pocket premium over the last seven years since I've been in the captive, we've, we've seen significant savings, sort, sort of, you know, the check I'm writing, the out-of-pocket. Uh, and then to your point, you know, our favorable losses over that seven-year seven period, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of good years, a couple not-so-good years, so kind of just like, you know, insurance works. But overall, the, the long period of time, we've performed very well. So we've also developed an equity position in the captive. And so, you know, call it a, a dividend or a reward for, for good performance. So, Certainly, uh, you know, I kind of say we, we now control our own destiny when it comes to our insurance. You, you obviously mentioned you've been involved in, in Navigator since since it was formed. In terms of how the kind of the the mechanics of operating the captive, how do you and your your fellow members operate the captive and, and carry on the business of the captive and ensure that it is a success in its own right? Yeah, so Navigator, you know, formed back in 2014. So you know, started with one member and uh, a little bit of premium. So now we have a little over 100 members and about 50 million dollars in premiums. So every member has a seat at the table. So we get together twice a year as, as shareholders and as a board, uh, where we make decisions on behalf of the captive. And captive resources right there by our side, kind of guiding us. You know, the members, we all have elected an executive committee. I, I currently uh, serve as the president of the captive. So the executive committee, myself with our executive team, we, we do some of the planning that happens in between the meetings. So to prepare for the meetings, but captive resources as our consultant, they, they really do the heavy lifting, right? I mean, they've, they've got the experience, they've got the expertise, they've got the know-how. They can leverage their experience with other captives that they set up. They help us make the strategic decisions, um, but ultimately they are our decisions that, that we make. And they're, they're really, uh, you know, they're really our guide. It's, it's, I'd say it's truly impressive what George Russo and Nick Henches and Mike Foley have, have built and grown at Captive Resources. They've got some of the most professional individuals with, with some of the best expertise out there. And it's, it's truly impressive. They've, they've really guided us and uh, helped us grow the captive. Yeah, and no, I always really enjoy talking to those guys. Also, because primarily my focus over the last seven or eight years has always been more, much more on the traditional kind of single parent captive model, and 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 this podcast as well. We we have we've had some huge companies on, on this podcast who have very large single parent captives in multinational uh, organizations. So it's really interesting to hear these stories from from the group captive members such as yourself. And we've had a few on now who are involved with captive resources over the last couple of years because it it really I think illustrates just how flexible and multi-purpose captive structures can be for all kinds of different companies. To that point, so, so our cap, so Navigator is a, a homogeneous cap, right? So, so we've got seven or eight or nine dealerships in there like myself, but then we have another 90 or, uh, or 100 companies that are made up of other industries. And what I'll tell you is 
uh, you know, you asked me kind of the, the, the benefit, how we run the captive. Captive Resources has really helped us, you know, develop the model and, and run the business and set up, a, a, you know, a, we're a company, a true organization. What I'll also tell you is my members now, my fellow members that I see twice a year and I have a phone call with, you know, uh, periodically, they've become some of my you know, closest friends. So I look forward to seeing them every six months and we share with each other. We share experiences in our companies and that's the side benefit, the ancillary benefit that you get out of being in a group captive. Yeah, and that's, of course, a benefit you don't get so much when you do just own your own captive because you, you've naturally got, as you mentioned there, a, net, a new network of peers in all different kinds of companies with different views and perspectives on risk management, risk financing. How has the, the group captive experience and over, over the past seven years or so changed your perspective and, and philosophy on, on risk financing? Because you mentioned, obviously, one of the motivators for doing this was because you're getting frustrated with the traditional commercial market. So has the experience only reinforced that kind of skepticism or, or, or experience that you, you're already having? Yeah, for, for sure. So when we were simply buying insurance as a you know a fully insured indemnity product, it was, it was very transactional, right? So we go to our broker, our broker goes to the market, they come back, they sit in front of me, you know, annually or semi-annually and tell me about all the things going on in the world that sort of, you know, oftentimes have nothing to do with me. You know, I get my rates that may or may not have anything to do with, you know, my risk and my loss profile and my claims. You know, I pay my premium and somebody else gets the risk reward, you know, and ultimately somebody else, you know, keeps the upside. So with the group captive, you know, I don't take on all the risk myself. There's certainly a, an element to that. But um, in the group captive, you know, the model is, is, is meant to share. But but for the most part, it's 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 on me to run the, a healthy organization. But I do share in the risk reward equation, right? So my premium dollars now work for me. When I write my premium check in, it's, it's sitting in the portfolio working for us based on my loss rates. And then the investment return, right? So, you know, today our, um, our portfolio is generating investment dollars on the, the unused or the, un, you know, the unclaimed dollars. And so we're, we're truly an insurance company. And uh, the benefit there that, that we receive, clearly I don't receive when I'm in the, uh, the fully insured market. So to- totally has changed the perspective. And, you know, as, as time has gone on, you start to think more like an insurance company, not just as a consumer. Yeah. And so, so lastly, then, Dan, bearing all that in mind and, and your experience, what advice would you have for other organizations who might be exploring the idea or, or have just heard about the idea and want to explore further, the idea of joining the group captive? What, what would be kind of your key pieces of advice there? You know, first, know your numbers. So, so know exactly where you're at. Know what you're paying for insurance. Know what your coverages are, how you're procuring it. Know what your losses are and where your claims come from. You know, I think that was my, my biggest aha yeah, I've been with the organization about 18, 19 years. And, you know, obviously for the first decade was just buying traditional insurance. And as I'm watching the numbers and getting to know my numbers and, you know, kind of that big aha's going, man, somebody's, somebody's doing well here and it's not always me. So know your numbers. If you run a good operation, it's, it's highly likely that you're a good candidate to take control of your risk financing to look at, you know, a, a captive model. So, so then obviously you seek out a consultant. So in our case, my broker introduced me to captive resources and well, the whole concept of a captive can be complex or it can seem complex and, and foreign. The reality is uh, an organization like Captive Resources, they, they break it down. They make it understandable. Our, our captive manager, uh, Kevin Helene, is, is uh, an exceptional consultant and he's done a tremendous job sort of educating our, uh, our members. And, uh, you know, I feel that here I am today, seven years later, and I by far am not an expert, but I, I think I can speak the language and understand uh, how my, uh, my risk financing affects the organization. So that's Best advice I can uh, give is um, know your numbers and, and then seek out a, a consultant. Fantastic. Well, Dan, it's been really interesting hearing from you. And thank you for coming on to the Global Captive Podcast. Well, I appreciate the time today, uh, Richard, and for having me on uh, your program.
The Global Captive podcast is supported by RQ, the award winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers, and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement, whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to RQ. Okay, so welcome back to GCP 50, where I am joined by Mike Foley, President of Captive Resources. Mike, bearing in mind your long history and association with the uh, broader commercial market, do you think this hard market is any different from from previous ones that you've been through? So I'd have to say I haven't been through too many markets that I would call a true hard market, right? Um, it's, been <laughs> okay. a, it's been a little bit of a unicorn in the industry in my mind since I've been active in the last two decades. But uh, but there have been some markets where it's been, you know, hardening prices, right? Uh, still, usually pretty good capacity availability. You know, I, I think this hard market is driven by, like all hard markets, a, you know, a deficit in the industry of price relative to risk, and it has to be something that's relatively pervasive. It can't be one carrier or a couple of carriers who got their pricing wrong, because when that happens, they don't have enough power in the market to drive the prices up. So the fact that prices are moving up fairly consistently over you know, fairly extended periods of time on certain lines of business certainly shows that I think there's some underlying you know, issues that the industry is trying, trying to sort out. If you look at auto, I think it's been since 2015 now that you know, auto prices have been increasing and you know, they've been double digit for a good chunk of that time in terms of rate increases and still really not able to catch that power curve. And I think that's because of things like different behaviors, such as distracted driving that are really driving different loss patterns than would historically have been the case. And then also the vehicles are just becoming more expensive, right? There's more electronics and more technology in them. And so, you know, the repairs for vehicles are going up fairly significantly. So auto, I think, is driven by underlying, you know, claims patterns that are changing and then just the underlying cost of repairs that are changing. And then, you know, I'll shift that to GL, which overlaps with auto a little bit, where GL has moved up in the last couple of years. Um, really, I think late 2017, early 2018, it started to become positive rate and it's been moving up fairly significantly in those years. That has a little less capacity as well. And that's driven, I think, in large part by you know litigation and large judgments, um, really far larger than people would have expected, as well as um, unexpected loss from events like wildfires and even now when you look at the pandemic, right? So, so there's emerging risks that weren't appropriately included in the underlying models, and then there's also just a higher overall settlement than people typically expected due to the trial attorneys, and so so that pressure is there and will be there. And then comp has really just edged slightly positive in the last three, two or three quarters, and I slight, you know, slightly like a point or so, right? So, so the market overall, I think, has some underlying patterns that are pushing it to higher prices, and you know that'll happen until uh, the industry catches the loss curve and actually makes a reasonable return on their capital. So, one of the one of the topics we talk about a lot on this podcast, and and people in the wider industry talk about often, is is the idea that uh, using a captive can kind of mitigate some of the impact of of the market cycles, and and can can help you take control to some degree over your insurance rates. Uh, regarding group captives specifically, is it correct to say that they're insulated from the hard market? Have have you seen your your group captive members and group captives being impacted by the hard market? How is how are the two related, or is it is it very very direct and correlated. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say that clearly there's an insulating nature to captives. If the, you know some of the underlying patterns of losses will drive losses, and, and that'll still matter. But there's a fundamental difference in how group captives price versus how the traditional market prices, and it's also part of what makes the value proposition so compelling for the right companies with the right mindsets. So, in a group captive, typically you take the last five years' losses um, and you know cap them to take out severity, and basically build up a, you know, a loss pick based on your working layer of expected losses, frequency losses, and then you add in a, a severity layer and then you add on the cost. And so by doing that, you really bring back to the members the ownership of if you control your frequency and you control your loss cost, then you'll have a lower expected premium over time. And, and that holds true, right? So so to the extent there are underlying increases in losses, it will still drive slightly higher loss picks and, and slightly higher fixed cost requirements from the carriers. But I, I think you'll find that it's you know, much lower um, upward pressure compared to the overall market, and it's much more controllable by individual members, which, which actually, you know, if I could take a little segue here, that, that's one of the things that you know, is really interesting about this um, market too, that the people who join group captives are really a unique set of people on two dimensions, right? They they have a different mindset and behavior, and they have uh, really strong historical losses because that's really the gate to getting into the captive, right? And reminds me of a segmentation that we did of the market when I was at Zurich. We did what we thought was the first ever psychographic segmentation of the market, and we segmented it based on the relative risk profile, so how much risk individual companies were faced with in, in terms of the cost of their insurance, um, and then how much they wanted to engage in controlling that risk, basically how much they wanted to work to have better outcomes and have a safer workplace. And we found that you know we could segment that market into a couple of different interesting cohorts. Um, one group that we called simple functionalists had really low risk uh, profile and really low level of engagement. They just you know wanted something easy, right? They're not going to join a group captive. They just want a simple price. They don't pay a lot for insurance. They want to just yeah. you know be done with it. There's about a third of the market that we call busy negotiators, who are the price segment. They have some real risk, but they don't really want to engage. I don't think they're going to join group captives. But the other remaining 50% of the market, they're you know people who look for expertise, who want to invest to get smarter in how to control their risk. They want to engage with strategic partners to manage their risk. Those people can control their risk. And by controlling their risk, it changes their outcomes. And that's why you, we find that group captives really don't grow in rate as quickly as the rest of the market in a hardening market. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting, that that last point in particular. And I think you've answered a part of this already, but what do you think then that as we go through these market cycles, and of course, it has been quite a long time since the last so-called hard market, what do you think this market, these market cycles teach us about the self-insurance approach, whether that be pure captives or in this case, group captives? Is it, is it only ever going to push more good insureds towards self-insurance? I think that is the case. Quite honestly, the, the model is attractive across you know any market cycle, but in the hard market cycle, it can be even more attractive. And another interesting analysis that uh, McKinsey put out a couple of years ago, they, it was in the article they had on the future of underwriting and commercial PNC insurance. And and they laid out a two-by-two two that looked at price adequacy on one dimension, which is sort of the bound price to the technical price, and then loss ratio on another dimension. And, and they took a typical book for a 
commercial carrier, and they broke it into those four quadrants. And a significant portion of the book was well above 100 on price adequacy, meaning that it was essentially overpriced relative to technical price. So the carrier was getting an, a little bit of an excess return there and also had a low historical loss ratio. So that portion of the book is really incredibly attractive to group captives and actually would find the group captive value proposition very compelling, right? So in a hard market, part of what happens is carriers need to cover their deficit. And so they're driving rates up pretty consistently across the book. They're, of course, trying to do that um, with scalpel rather than a cleaver. And they're trying to be measured in where they do that. But at the end of the day, they're driving prices up across their book. And that really puts stress on the areas of the book that are significantly overpriced and attractive risks. And, and you know, I had also done in one of a, a Zurich um, investor days that I presented at a similar analysis where I took one of our books of business for a work comp book and I broke it into a lift curve. And what we did there was we broke the book into deciles from the you know most attractive decile to the least attractive decile. And that was based on using you know Zurich's sophisticated models for how to price work comp and all the carriers are investing significant time and effort in you know developing models that look at the expected losses based on underlying characteristics of accounts and so you know we had a model that you know could break it out and basically the most attractive risks we could afford to discount up to 43% you know relative to the market and the least attractive decile we needed to actually surcharge uh, an additional 44%. So the difference between that best decile and the worst decile was essentially 2.5 times in total price, right? And so relative to the market price. So that's a huge disparity. And and when you're in the market, especially a market that's you know a challenging market, it can often be difficult to get what you need to get on the worst risks. And so you end up not quite getting full technical price on your you know eighth, ninth, and tenth deciles. But of course, the underwriters have to earn a return on their total book, which leaves them then with the challenge of having to basically not give full discounts to the best deciles so that the overall book makes money. And that creates an opportunity for those best deciles, the most attractive accounts, if they understand the group captive model. They understand that they can come in and control their destiny and have a more consistent outcome based on their behaviors, which is really compelling in the marketplace. Yeah, just just one brief follow-up question on, on that, if I may. One of the things I've mentioned to a few captive consultants and, and captive owners in the past is, you know, what happens when we go through these quite tough market cycles. I'm, I always wonder if, you know, each time we have one of these cycles and a whole another generation or, or group of insurers end up in group captives or setting up single parent captives, isn't it the case that just more and more of the good risk is leaving the commercial market, which just puts commercial carriers in, in a worse position in the long run. Like how do how do commercial carriers deal with that? If all the good risk is essentially ending up in in self insured uh, structures. Well, you know the interesting thing is, you know, if I put my carrier hat on, yes, you know the better risks will be attracted to the group captive model. You're still left with a risk pool that, on average, you can charge the right price for. So it's not inherently you know, a problem. If if the best decile of risks went away, the carriers would just normalize their prices for the remaining risk, right? So, so I don't think that's sure. in you know a structural issue for the carriers that they have to be particularly concerned about. The the difference is really that the group captive model gives particularly middle market companies, right? Because obviously, you know, some some of these mindsets and behaviors can come through with single parent captives, but most of the middle market companies can't really can't form them, right? But but basically, it attracts people with a different behavior and mindset. But the people who are left in the traditional market still need insurance and still need to pay the right price for that insurance. 
it does drive that average price up for those remaining companies. But that's quite honestly because that's the right price for their underlying risk. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, just lastly, then, right at the top of the episode, Mike, you mentioned that uh, when you left Zurich, one of one of the considerations you had was looking at kind of the insure tech space. And we seem to hear about a new and exciting insure tech startup every week. And I'm, I'm an avid subscriber to a podcast called Instech London, which has fantastic episodes and interviews with really exciting insure tech startups uh, on a weekly basis. And I recommend people listen to that. But what, what role do you see insure tech playing in, in the group capture space going forward? And is there any particular areas or startups which you, you think are particularly exciting? What, what role do you think it has to play for, for, your, for your own business? I actually think InsureTech will be less compelling in the group capital space, at least in the near to midterm. And, and that's for a couple of reasons. You know, if I think about at least the captives that Captive Resources works with, the members in there tend to be, you know, firms of, you know, call it 10 million to a billion in size, right? That's probably 80 to 85% of the premium in our in the collective books of business for the 40 captives that we work with. There are some firms over a billion and there are some firms under 10 million, but you know, those are less than 10% on the tails, right? And so so I think InsureTech is, you know, really compelling in the SME space, right? Uh, more than in the middle market space. So I, I think it's going to get lots more traction there than in you know, the areas that we're currently spending most of our time and effort. And then also, I think group captives as a model versus other more traditional you know, insurance models just is less transaction intensive because people tend to join the captive. They tend to stay for long periods of time. There's not lots of changes to policies. It's a, it's a pretty clear model. They join and so I, I think that it's going to be slow to change and, and not terribly important in the in the short to midterm. I think there are some places like blockchain that, as it becomes more proven and easier to do, can you know obviously be snapped in to to track things like you know exposures on a more real time basis. But but it's not something that in the near term will be I think very compelling for group captives. Interesting. Well, certainly an area to watch upon, and we're certainly going to be tracking trying to get some more of these insurtech startups in, involved with the podcast where, in areas where we think there might be some crossover with, with the captive space uh, in the future but that is all we have time for in GCP 50 thank you for sticking with us through this and 49 episodes prior I can't I still can't quite believe we have got this far uh, but I'm sure well I know we have plenty more to come so do stick with us thank you to Dan Scheid CFO at Ziegler Auto Group for sharing sharing his group captive experiences and thank you to you mike foley uh, president of captive resources for joining me on the global captive podcast and thanks you to you richard for including me in the pod in the meantime stay safe stay well and see you next time captives